Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 26. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please bless me as I attempt to make clear your holy word, your life-giving word. Please strengthen us with your word this morning through my preaching. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As uh, startling as a thesis as it might sound, especially in the midst of flu season, uh, of which I'm still encumbered, Christ calls us to the holy kiss. This holy kiss mentioned at the end of 1 Thessalonians is not a mere random afterthought, nor is it some merely cultural act that sort of snuck its way into Scripture by accident, a sort of one-off, which I think, if we're honest with ourselves, is sort of how we tend to hear a verse like this. Like, oh, just a little bit of kind of cultural detritus at the end of an otherwise meaningful letter. But we can never dismiss God's word in that way. Nothing in the Bible is mere, and certainly nothing is dismissible. And I I hope to convince you this morning, this is far from some mere cultural artifact. It's actually not even a one-off. It's actually how St. Paul was inspired to end not only 1 Thessalonians, but also 1 and 2 Corinthians, and the letter to the Romans, and St. Peter also ends his first letter with the exact same injunction. This should be our first clue. This is not random. This is apostolic. Through the apostles, Christ calls us to the holy kiss. To be short, um, kissing as a greeting, like the French or Italians do, like kind of cheek to cheek, uh, was a cultural norm in ancient Rome, in ancient Judea. Certainly. But such a cultural norm would never be needed to be encouraged by a letter. right? You could just say, greet your brothers. And it would be assumed, greet them in the manner with which we're used to greeting each other. And also, note this highlights the detail. It's not a kiss that's being enjoined. It's a holy kiss. A holy kiss. So what is this holy kiss? Well, we actually have to first look at the Old Testament. This is the kiss of reconciliation. It's the kiss that Joseph gives his brothers when he reveals that he is their brother and that God's plan has been rescuing him all along and that it's his will to show their mercy. And it says he fell on them and kissed them. The kiss of reconciliation. It's the kiss in the parable that Jesus tells of the prodigal son when the prodigal son returns. Does the merciful father greet him with a handshake and a pat on the arm? No, he says he kissed him and put his best robe on him. A kiss of reconciliation. It's the kiss prophesied in the Song of Songs. The church speaking to Christ the Bridegroom. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. It's the kiss commanded by the psalmist in Psalm 2 when he says at the end, Kiss the son, lest he be angry. The Bible and the history of theology since gives us all kinds of technical language to describe what exactly God did for us in the person of Jesus Christ. When the Son took on flesh for our sake, when He died for our sake, when He was raised for our sake, when He was sent, was seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven at the ascension for our sake. 
big, weighty, noble words like ransom, substitution, atonement, justification, and so on. And these are great words. But they don't move the heart in the same way as this image of a kiss. The kiss of a good father. The kiss of a noble brother. The kiss of Christ. And because of this kiss of Christ, we are called to greet the brothers with a holy kiss. And this isn't just a say hi when you see them. This is actually a liturgical rubric. You know how in the prayer book, the italic text is rubrical directions of what to do? Paul's actually giving a liturgical instruction here, just like he does in 1 Corinthians about the Lord's Supper. And I say this not because I think I found some great interpretation, but when we look at church history down to the very earliest strata of church history, all the early fathers mentioned the holy kiss as an essential component of the celebration of Holy Communion. It's a practice that dates to the very age of the apostles. For instance, Justin Martyr, writing only one generation after the death of the last apostle, writes in his description of the Holy Communion, which is matter-of-fact description of things already established, he says, Having ended the prayers, we salute one another with a kiss. Then bread and wine mixed with water is brought to the celebrant, and he goes on to describe communion as we would recognize it today. What he's describing is the holy kiss, sometimes called the kiss of peace. And it was a staple part of every celebration of holy communion in the church for the first thousand years of our life. In the middle of the service, after kissing immediate family members, the men then kissed the men on the cheek, and the women then kissed the women on the cheek. It was always, for modesty's sake, sort of gender separated in that way. Men kissing men, women kissing women. And we even see this um, demarcated in the scriptures when Paul says, greet the brothers with the holy kiss. Now, around the year 1000, the holy kiss began to be replaced with the kissing of an icon. And by the year 1400, it seems to have just vanished from uh, the ordinary service of the church. A big loss. And think about, I think it's no coincidence that the era in which the church starts to fragment into lots of different branches, lots of different denominations, coincides with the era where we stopped having to get this close to other people in church. The the, uh, kiss of peace survived in only one small liturgical fragment um, through this era, and it's at the end of the marriage liturgy, when the bride and the groom kiss. That's the last vestige of the kiss of peace in continuous church history. Now, 40 years ago, in 1979, for the first time in 700 years, the peace gets reintroduced into the liturgy as a thing, the peace. But you'll notice that it's a halfway step, right? It's not the kiss of peace that was the staple for the thousand years. It's just the peace, right? When we shake hands and, uh, and say the peace of Christ, which we're now well familiar with. But that was a reintroduction of something that had lain dormant for, several, for seven centuries in the life of the church. But the knowing the historical backdrop, I, I say all this because this is a part of the service, I think, that's not often well understood by we Anglicans. Right? We think of it as sort of like a teaser trailer of coffee hour, like when we just get to say hi to everybody. It is not saying hi to everybody. It is extending to one another the very thing God in Christ has extended to us when righteousness and peace kissed each other, which is the kiss of reconciliation, of saying, you are family to me, men to men, you are brothers to me. 
women, women, you are sisters to me. That's how real our union is in Christ Jesus, that this is a family bond, a family tie. And the kiss of reconciliation say, I'm not holding grudges. It's an extension of what Jesus said, of when you come to the altar, if you remember your brother has a grievance against you, you know, make it right with your brother, and then offer the sacrifice. It's far more than a simple high, as much more as a kiss is more than a handshake. It's a moment to express with our bodies to your brothers if you're a man, to your sisters if you're a woman, to express what's been true outwardly, what has been made true inwardly, that we are united to each other with God as our Father. Now, just to be clear, in case you're feeling a bit nervous, I'm not sort of commanding as some sort of new law that in five minutes when we pass the peace, you've got to kiss each other. The Bible isn't here laying down new law. It's inviting us into a new reality that's been established by Christ. But I say all this because I hope that knowing about the kiss of peace, knowing how important it is in Scripture and in church history, that the way in which you pass the peace of Christ would be anchored to that as true north. That this is a very meaningful component of our communion celebration. Meaningful enough to be mentioned five times in the New Testament. And if in 30 or 40 years it's literally the norm that we're this sort of strange parish in town that amidst all the other strange stuff we do, we also kiss each other on the cheek, men to men, women to women in the parish, I would thank God for that. I hope that it is. There's one other downstream benefit from remembering the literalness, the sort of rough and ready, uh, that's the wrong phrase, um, sort of earthiness of this injunction in Scripture about the holy kiss. The holy kiss in the midst of the liturgy would become, and was for many ages, a north star to sanctify affection generally, sort of the cornerstone of all affectionate gestures. It teaches us, downstream from the liturgical kiss of peace, built on the command, the fivefold command in Scripture, to greet one another with a holy kiss, that all kisses should be holy, that all gestures of affection should be shaped by the holiness of God. And this um, really has two faces. On the one hand, it teaches us forever that sanctity is not a synonym for stoicism, that as we become more and more transformed by Christ, we don't become colder and colder, we become warmer and warmer. The saints illustrate this for us plentifully. I think of St. Martin in the 4th century, who famously one time encountered um, a leprous, uh, homeless, like kind of wandering beggar. Um, and he uh, dismounted from his horse and went over to him and kissed him. And God, in a, mo- in a miraculous moment, he cleansed him instantly of his leprosy in that moment. An outward symbol of the blessedness of the kiss of peace. It teaches us that Christians, we are to be warm, not cold, but also that no kiss should be given that is unholy. It's really interesting. Think about the churches, specifically that St. Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Rome and Corinth and Thessalonica. Rome and Corinth. Think about what else we know is happening in the churches there and in the sort of uh, environ of the church. Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 5. Affection is very disordered in those churches, but Paul's medicine isn't 
Okay, y'all are going like way too intense, just stop it, stop it. No, counter crooked affection with holy affection. Greet one another with a holy kiss, not an unholy one. Because God has shown us affection like this in Christ Jesus by sending him in the first place when righteousness and peace kissed each other. Greet the brothers with a holy kiss. And if you all feel a bit nervous about the peace in just a minute, that's fine. Deacon Lincoln, watch out. I'm going to be kissing you from now on. I'm not joking. I just read in the scripture. It's like, the Bible says it really clearly. We should just do that. So, greet the brothers with a holy kiss. Amen.